Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Jane Nash and Dan Milne from Narrative London, welcome. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Amy. Yeah, it is great to be here. Brought together by the wonderful Diana Theodoris, who introduced us, and here we are recording Your Why. Why do you do what you do? So I'm just going to put that question right over to you and ask, what is it that you're doing right now? (laughs) That's a big question. So, okay, so you're saying that we're here because of Diana is kind of it, because our work is about listening and storytelling, but essentially it's about connection. So it's through that connection with Diana, she came along and did some work with us on one of our workshops back, you know, back in those distant days when we could still all be in a room together. We did some work together on story, uh, and now Diana is a great friend of ours and, and colleague of ours, and she recommended you. So. We teach a methodology, which is around listening and storytelling, and we create spaces, whether they are in rooms or in virtual space, where people can uncover, can excavate, as we describe it, shape and tell their personal stories. And we are sitting here in our house. So I'm going to take Amy's question really, really literally, because Jane and I are married. We live and work together and share a large part of our our lives together. And so part of the dynamic of our relationship is in the room when we work with groups of people and their story. And I think, um, why am I saying that? Because actually, because I think it's not a usual thing to work with your partner I know there's lots of people out there that do it, but there's also lots of people we encounter who say, oh, my God, I could never do that. Um, And actually, this works for us. Um, We've made work together for a long time in lots of different ways. So here we are sitting in one of the rooms in our house looking out at a, a bright January morning. Oh, fantastic. So you took it literally and Jane sort of took it from a conceptual <laughs> point of view. And, and that's great. And that's what it's all about. So you're talking about connection and you're talking about listening and you're talking about storytelling. How long have you guys been working with these three areas? Why don't you go first this time? Yes. Well, our background is in theatre. So both of us um, independently had careers in the theatre as actors, directors, theatre makers. Uh, and so I think that has to be, for, for both of us, um, where that interest and appetite for telling stories came from. I know that for me personally, from a very early age, it was something I wanted to do. It was a, it was a vocation. And I think over the years of doing it and continuing to make work from stories that's broadened and diversified. And I think actually I've I've understood a lot more about why I do what I do, why I still do that, why I'm still interested in making stories with my own work and my own creativity, but really creating spaces to explore other people's stories. So I think for me, it does it does chart back to that that background in theatre making and storytelling in that realm. Yeah, I mean, 
my immediate response when you asked that question was forever because, you know, I, f- I feel like actually mm. that I've been passionately interested in people and what they do and their stories forever and ever. You know, I came from, you know, I'm an only child, but my mother was one of nine children. So there was this big family Irish immigrants who then landed in Manchester and then came to London. So already there are these heritage and generational stories that I grew up in the middle of. And so, you know, my work as an actor then was all about, well, what other lives are there? You know, what other other stories are there? And the work of an actor in essence is looking at a script, taking that one person that you are going to be playing and really getting inside them so that you can understand them. You understand their backstory to be able to play that person convincingly. Um, But one of my earliest experiences in theatre was I worked in Coventry. Uh, This was back in the early 80s in a theatre and education company that came out of the Belgrade Theatre. And that was making work to perform in schools. And we would take work which really was quite political in content. It would be around trade unions, people's rights, education into schools. But essentially, we would interview people, discover their stories, make pieces of theatre from their stories. Mm. So for me, at the heart of it really is this idea that everybody has a story and other people's stories are fascinating. You know, so so for me, that's... That's the seed of that. That's the the genesis of that. And they are fascinating. And and you both said that it was from a very early age. Can you remember sort of going back to that first magical moment where you heard a story and you said, that's it, I need to be in this this space? I remember being taken to see stories played in front of me. So hearing a story in a theatrical sense, yes, I remember I actually... I, w- I remember being in Italy as a very small child, camping with my big family and being taken to the opera and sitting in this amphitheatre outside and Carmen happening down below. Now, I was tiny. I, I barely remember anything, but I do remember the atmosphere and I remember real horses and a bull on stage. So, there was something about the event nature uh, that also has always really kind of entranced me, the communal sharing of a moment. Now, I guess in Verona, watching an opera, there were probably 3,000 people there. But it doesn't matter if there's 3,000 or 13 people in a room. It's that sense that we've come together in this moment to all be part of this story. Because I think whenever something's played out in front of you, there's not just that story happening. It's activating your own story. You, it takes you into your own experience of being a human being. And that's what that communal event of theatre is about. So I, there's one example for me. Yeah, for me, the, the story that comes to mind, actually, is sitting downstairs in the kitchen of this house because we still live in the house that I grew up in. And I think that I was under my grandmother's table And I knew that if I stayed under that table and I was really quiet, that I could listen in to the conversations between my grandmother and my mum and my aunts, (laughs) which were fascinating. And then beyond that, I discovered that I could could replay those conversations. I could mimic people. I could become other people. And and that seemed to entertain people. So that, for me, that was that, that heady feeling of... 
I can I can make myself be somebody else. I don't need to be this sort of slightly lonely only child. I could, you know, I can pretend to be somebody else and I get lots of laughs. And I and I really love that feeling. I think. <laughs> well, I've now got I had goosebumps when you mentioned Carmen because that's one of my favorite operas of all time. And all wow. I can hear it is it was like da, 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 music. <laughs> yes. So, oh, it's, it's, just, it's a great entry level opera because the drama oh, is just so there in your face. Brilliant. And then something that Jane said about being underneath that kitchen table and listening to the stories. Do you think that's why you've got that or you stress the importance of listening to stories? Because it, it came right from early and very early because you got the value from them, from the listening in. Absolutely. And at narrative, you know, we one of the most powerful ideas that we work with is that there is a reciprocal relationship between listening and telling. So if you want to create great stories, we come from the place of, well, you have to create the listening that generates those stories. Listening creates safe space. The way that we listen to ourselves means that we can be inspired by our own ideas and our own stories. And certainly as we experience it all the time, the spaces that we create, whether they're in a room or whether they're online, it's in the quality of how we listen to people that helps them to be able to connect with their own stories and find the courage to tell their own stories and the inspiration to tell their own stories. So, yeah, absolutely. That idea of listening and storytelling is is crucial and I think was wired into me really early. Dan, is there there's something to add to that? Um well, just a bit of an origin story for Narrative's work because it grew out of the work of one of our founders in the US. And Murray Nossel was a clinical psychologist doing an anthropology degree in the early 90s in New York City. And he found himself on a placement for, I think it was for three months with an AIDS day program. In the early 90s, this community that was designed to look after people who were dying of AIDS. And I say dying advisedly because there was very little that could be done for people at that point. And he was in this community trying to use his tools as, as a clinical psychologist. Um, he trained in South Africa as that. And he was trying to use these tools, asking them questions, trying to essentially draw themselves out with his, with his questions. And they didn't want to know. They did not want to talk about their families or their backgrounds or their parents. Or their feelings. Or their feelings, yeah. And he realised that the thing he could really give them was not this facilitative work through questioning, was just his listening and creating a space in which they felt safe to tell their stories, whatever those stories were. So he created this community of people that started to leave their stories on videotape. And those tapes became a tool for advocacy. They actually changed the law as to how people with HIV and AIDS were treated in New York State in that time. But those people in that community realized that they could leave something behind in telling their story and they could give something to each other in their listening. They would come together as a group and most of the time they'd spend listening to other people and I think that idea of generative listening that that community witnessing each other telling their stories is also deeply at the heart of of why listening 
is is the the other part of the equation with storytelling for us. I think there's something too there that's that's distinct about stories and telling your story because Murray discovered, you know, as a psychologist, the first place he went to was to say to them, um, you know, how do you how do you feel? And of course, that the their answer would be, well, how do you think I feel? You know, I'm I have a, a terminal disease. I'm extremely stigmatized. None of my family want to talk to me, et cetera, et cetera. How do you think I feel? And Murray therefore went to a secondary question, which was, well, tell me your story, which is that, you know, there's a distinction between what you might be feeling, but your story is something that is concrete, it's tangible, it's your experience, and nobody can take that away from you. And in fact, the first person who told their story for Murray was a woman who said, my three-year-old daughter is going to never, never going to know me because she was aware that uh, her illness was terminal, she couldn't be saved, and she wanted to leave her story behind. So it was really about my story has value because it passes on to my next of kin, who I was. And it's really interesting because my last Reflections episode, I I talked about lost stories, stories that we'll never know because they weren't shared, they weren't told, and for whatever reason at whatever particular time, and I'm talking about centuries, sort of millennia of of various people that didn't share them and they didn't step up and share their story for whatever reason. And I feel it's so important to, as you say, it's a legacy you are because you don't know who it's going to affect. You don't know who it's going to reach and touch and for for what reason that might work so what have been the stories that have touched you over time wow wow yeah that's that's a hard question because um very often when we work with people they might say oh I haven't got a story even though they're choosing to come and work with us they might feel my story isn't very exciting it's you know nothing amazing has happened or you know it's uh, I think sometimes people feel the need to have had a really traumatic story or something that's kind of like their survival story and actually what I think I discover in practice you know I think I've, I've said before something about this principle that we work with which is that everybody has a story and that's something that's really easy to say but actually really profound in practice because I think that the moment that anyone really authentically takes me into their experience no matter what that experience is it might be a story of pain and loss it might be a story of joy and love or it might just be a story about uh, making a cup of coffee and looking out into your garden and seeing a fox picking its way across your garden or whatever it might be that there, there's something about that quality of authenticity that means that I remember many, 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 most of the stories that people have told to me, and I feel privileged to have heard those stories. So for me, it's it's kind of, yeah, it kind of, kind of doesn't feel quite right to pick out particular stories because it's something about the process and the the relationship, the connection again, that's built between two people who listen and share their stories. And so then once you get that, that kind of takes the pressure off of thinking, oh, I've got to come up with a, a really humdinger of a story because underneath that is, it's all about the connection and storytelling connects us no matter what the story is. 
I think we can all get in our own way about our story. I think all of us can feel um, that we don't have one and it's it's not good enough. It's not interesting enough. Nothing's happened to me. And actually, the truth is none of us really know how exotic our own experience is to somebody else and what connections and, uh, and relations someone else might make with our story. So I, I really like that you said that, Jane. It's the sense that all stories are equal. And Jane, actually, when she talked about somebody making a cup of coffee and seeing a fox in the garden, that was a real story that somebody told in a workshop of ours, one of the first workshops we ever did. And we've never forgotten it. And nothing more happened than that. But it was a real slice of this person and her life. And so that's what stories are able to do. They're able to really just give us a slice of who you are. And that connection is the powerful thing, not the event, not the magnitude of it. It's interesting, actually, when we work in business and we've we've encountered this a number of times, working with an organization where there's a big figurehead, where there's some big, powerful person who's got a quite amazing story. And that story can become the story of the company. It becomes the origin story, the core story that everybody talks about. And it can absolutely disempower the other people in the organization to feel that they've got a story that's worthy. They'll always say, but it, oh, no, it's everybody wants to hear that person's story because it's the big origin story. And often it feels like our job is turning the spotlight on them and saying, but what's your experience? Because actually your experience might be much more relatable for me than the big story. Mm. And we've encountered that a number of times. It's so interesting. And, you know, when I get interviewed on other people's podcasts, they ask me to name my favorite podcast episode. And it's exactly the same experience. It's like choosing your favorite child. It's just not possible. So all stories, they are equal, but they also aren't equal in the essence that they bring different elements in the way you're listening. And, and something that I'm very conscious of is I don't speak very much when I'm interviewing people. I use my reflection episodes to do that. And I think that, as you said, it's that opportunity to listen to somebody else's story. Sometimes you are listening to what they're saying, but also playing your own sort of movie as well. But how do you help people to honour and find those hidden stories within? I think I think that people have an innate uh, intelligence about it. So, you know, so that the, the stage might be that somebody, we always ask the question, what is the story that you would like to tell, you know, when we begin to work with somebody? And very often that's the point that they will say, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't, I don't have a story, or I've got thousands of stories, but and none of them are very good because I'm not a very good storyteller. When we begin with the work on the listening, which, as I said, is kind of as much about listening to yourself as it is to about listening to the other people that you might be working with. But when you begin to listen to yourself, you might discover that uh, a memory pops up out of nowhere or you suddenly start thinking about something that happened that you haven't thought about for ages or you see yourself picking a piece of jewelry that you haven't worn for a long time or or a shirt that you haven't worn for ages and suddenly you realize actually there are stories in those objects I've got stories that are attached to the the memories and so very often as we work with people they will say I don't know 
I don't know why I'm telling this story, but I sort of feel like I want to have a go at telling this story. And because of our innate uh, intelligence and our subconscious, I find that very often the subconscious will give you the perfect story to tell. And as you tell the story, you can listen to you, you listen to yourself telling the story and then you get reflected back what other listeners hear in that story. And you realize that there will be themes in the story that match with the job that's at hand, that, that, that somehow there are there's more in the story than even you knew was in the story. And, and so there's this kind of alchemy, this kind of real kind of magic that happens once people begin to pay attention and begin to value their own stories and the stories of the people around them. I think that paying attention piece is, is really interesting because often we'll, we'll give a story prompt to a group of people and very quickly we'll say, don't ignore what's already popped up because something will have popped up. The subconscious will have done a little bit of alchemical work and shown you something. And then, of course, the conscious mind goes, oh, well, not that one. Oh, that's not very interesting. Oh, I, don't, I couldn't tell that. And then you just have to unpick that and say, okay, you don't have to tell any of those, but just notice what came up. Um, it, I think a large part of the work, it, when we work with people and they, and they might work on a story, probably half a dozen other stories have popped up, half a dozen other memories and thoughts from their life has popped up. And that is just revealing to them, I've got a wealth of material here. And it's interesting that you said not all stories are equal. You're absolutely right, because not all stories are equal in what they convey, the meaning that they convey. And you, you kind of touched on this, Jane, I think, that very often people will tell stories and they won't know the meaning or the values or the ideas that are being conveyed until they're reflected back to them. And that can be the wonder of story exploration, that that intelligent subconscious will throw something up that you don't even know what is in there until you get it reflected back and you mm. get to explore it. And I think it is one of the amazing things I've discovered in working with people and their stories that absolutely we work on stories as a communication tool, as a way to connect with somebody. But the first part of the process is as a kind of exploration tool, connecting with yourself, understanding something more about yourself. And that's where some of the wonder really lies when you see people have those realizations and revelations. You know, there are stories that I, I feel that I've told many times and very often I will get reflected back to me you know, something new, something different in the story that I that I didn't know was there. And I might have told that story many times, but because each listening is different because everyone is listening through the filter of their own experiences. So I might just tell that story to somebody else who says, oh, and you know what I hear in the story? It's mm. dot, dot, dot. And, and, and then there is this amazing, wow, I didn't, I didn't even know that you know that was in there because you hadn't put it in there yeah i hadn't i hadn't put it in there consciously but it was it was heard it was listened to by somebody else who heard it in there uh it, i love i love this sort of attention to the subconscious because we 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 don't pay very much attention we uh, but our conscious mind is only sort of oh, sort of 
active 12% of the time and 88% of the time is your subconscious and it's got and it remembers everything right up to just a moment ago. And yet, you know, we, we don't trust it. We, we trust the conscious mind more than our subconscious, but mm. it has a wealth of, as you say, it's got uh, sort of an alchemy there. It's got a wealth of knowledge. And But going back to what you're saying about understanding who you are first before that you can then communicate and and understand what that is from a realization or a revelation perspective we are a collection of memories and we do have those different filters so I just want to explore that a bit more absolutely I was doing some work with somebody the other day around um, his values um, and he wanted to um, talk about his values to do a presentation about his values and we had to reflect that you don't choose your values. Your values are revealed to you when you look at the choices that you've made in your life. Now, all of us can choose a direction, can decide, I want to do this, I want to go there, I want to be that. And that can give you focus in your life. But that is not the same as choosing values, because I think their values and motives are so deeply buried um, in the actions of our lives that it takes reflecting on our experience to really understand what they are, what's important to us, what drives us. And often that is where the revelation can be. And I've had it myself. I would say that my work on story really is powered by um, the experiences that I've had, the uh, deepening understanding that I've had about myself through looking at and working on my own story. And I've seen that myself, that I've reflected on moments and events and great arcs of my life and then suddenly realized, oh, this is the thing that ties those together. And once I, I have identified that, that really kind of helps me understand who I am, helps me as I go forward in the direction that I'm choosing. Yeah, it's, it's as you described that, Dan, I was thinking, I was thinking about... Uh, my relationship to my own stories, you know, whether you know whether it is sitting underneath my grandmother's table, which I feel like that's a, a memory that I haven't really connected with ever before. But you asked that question, and that was the story that popped up. But in fact, I've never heard that. Yeah. So, um, so many times when we work with people, if we say something like, if if we're working with someone around their why, what their purpose, why do they do what they do? Mm. And you get them to tell what might seem like a random collection of stories, something from childhood, something from that point in life where, you know, where maybe just leaving school or university, individuating, going out into the world, and then something from last week. If you then listen to those stories back to back, what happens is that you can hear a thread in those stories, you will hear the themes so that as Dan is talking about values and those things that, that drive and motivate us, those things when you listen to, to a collection of somebody's stories become clear as day when you listen to them as stories put, put together and that always really excites me because you can kind of hear, oh, so this is the person who's who's heading up a major team dealing with what plastics are doing in the ocean. And here's a story that I'm hearing about somebody who as a teenager cleaned up beaches on the weekend as 
you know, just a, a recreational activity. Well, the link between that story to where they end up is, well, it's 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 right there. And we don't often, we don't always notice that actually we have been following a thread through our life, that actually our, our innermost desires, our drivers, our values, our why has actually been, been pulling us or we've been kind of, you know, being led by it the whole time. Something that made me think about then was regret, because I think we can all look back at bits of our lives um, with regret and disappointment about things we didn't do. And the work we do on people's stories never looks at the things that you didn't do. We're in creating a space for people to explore the things that they did do and the choices they did make. And so I think there's something inherently positive and validating about that. You may not understand until you start to reflect on it and look for that thread, perhaps, um, what the connection is. But it's very easy for all of us to think, oh, if only I'd done that. And I think there's something about exploring your story that allows you to look back and know that, well, I know why I made that decision then, and I know why I made that decision mm. then, and I know why I made that decision then. And it kind of lets go of all that, because in the end, it's kind of wasted energy regretting what hasn't happened. We can only move forward into the future. Yeah, I, th I think examining the story, you know, and you've talked about, Amy, all the stories that don't get told, the mm. the hidden stories, and I think as the, just as that's the same for millennia that there are lost stories, but in any one individual there will also be hidden stories that have never been told. So when you begin to do the work on your own story and mapping, what are the stories that have got me to this moment? You can discover all kinds of hidden stories that, as Dan says, can um, I, I think really help with that feeling of regret, if there is any feeling of regret, because that can engender a feeling of compassion. If you understand the context by looking back at the story, that's what was happening then. That's how that thing happened. That I think it helps us to be much more compassionate about the mistakes we've made. The, the things that we think, well, that was maybe a wrong turning. You know, I mean, personally, I believe that it's all perfect because it's brought us to this present moment. However we, hard some bits might have been. However hard yeah. some some moments. And, and of course, everybody's life has moments mm. where we've made mistakes, we have losses, we have traumas, absolutely everybody. And yet it's, it's in this present moment, which is a, as a storyteller is also really powerful to be in the present moment being able to be present with the listener to invoke the past and create a vision of the future because that's, you know, and that's the fulcrum of what storytelling does, I think. It's between present, this present moment, past and future, and it's all perfectly balanced. And something that you've been talking about but we haven't actually highlighted it as a separate element is emotion and the different emotions that stories evoke. And you talked about... Dan how your values are revealed to you through the, and Jane I love this the thread of life which is is great it might even be the title of this episode mm. I love it <laughs> because it's just such a beautiful sort of illustration of that the, the thread is is guiding you all the way through and you might not even be aware of it but mm. I just wanted to talk about emotions a bit more and, and how they become a part of what you do yeah mm. we always 
We always say emotions are welcome because you can't, it's, yeah, how to say this. It, it, very often when you hit a story that maybe you've never told before, or you go back into a memory that you haven't thought about for a long time, you know, and a lot of times I think our memory protects us from places that are, are painful. So that when you open the door on a memory, you might discover that there is all kinds of emotion attached to that story. And in revisiting the story, going back into the memory, the feeling can come out like you're in the present moment with that story again. So that's where this idea of creating safe space comes from. And of course, we're very often working in a work situation where people don't necessarily want to be awash in their emotions when they're at work. Some people like to have a kind of demarcation between their work self and their home self. Other people less so, you know, it's a kind of sliding scale, but we have to be respectful of all sorts of feelings about feelings that might be in the room. So we say emotions are welcome, but they're not absolutely required. And sometimes somebody can say, actually, in this moment, I don't want to go into that story. And that's not the story that I want to tell. And in the ethics of storytelling, your story always belongs to you. And, nobody, you know, I can't make anyone tell any story that they don't necessarily want to. But I think having a, a glimpse at what the emotion is there tells you there is perhaps some unresolved emotion around this or there is this story deserves for me to go back to it and to listen to it in whatever space feels safe for me to do that. Do you want to talk about our methodology as well a little bit? around? Yes, that? there's a couple of things mm. that have come up for me. Uh, and, be and before I touch on that, I just wanted to comment on that idea of organisations and emotion. And... I think there is a movement to feel that people should feel safe to bring their whole selves mm -hmm. to work. Now, I don't mean that a workspace has to be or should be awash with emotion, but the idea that emotion is bad and I can't show a large part of myself at work because it won't be accepted and won't be seen and heard doesn't then get the best out of the people that work in the organisation. And it's a big deal that for an organization to create a space where people feel they can bring if not their whole selves the largest part of themselves because that's where their potential will lie mm. in bringing all of themselves so i just wanted to touch on that in terms of emotion when we work when we do workshops and it might be in an organization there may be emotion there and it's really interesting when that does occur in a room to notice something of the culture of that organization how is this dealt with in the moment mm. is it completely allowed and accepted or is it pushed away and not mentioned or even everybody has to take care of and sort it all out and pretend it didn't happen so it's often a bit of a diagnostic if that does happen now jane mentioned our methodology when we work with people on their stories, one of the invitations that we give to people is to see if they can let go of all the interpretation and all the commentary and all the accretions of thinking and feeling that have gone with a memory. So, you know, traditionally we might tell a story and say, oh, this was this terrible thing that happened to me and I was really upset and then I was really happy because this, that and the other. That is all interpretation of an event. What's really interesting for a listener is to be shown the event. 
not told what you felt about it, because you may or may not identify with that. If I tell you this really sad thing happened to me, that doesn't make you feel sad just because I say that. It just becomes another piece of data, another label. But if I put you in my shoes and take you through a series of events, then what I'm doing is giving you the space to interpret what that must mm. have been like for yourself. And I think our belief, um, and is, is, is strongly reflected back through working in this way over many years, is that that's what then engages people. It, that's what has people leaning in to want to go on the journey and feeling something themselves because they know, oh, if I was in those shoes and that was happening to me, I would feel this. Mm. So instead of me saying it's sad, they get to feel, oh, that, that feels, that's made me feel sad or whatever whatever the emotion is that's in the story. So it's not we don't want the stories to have any emotion, but we want you to see if you can let go of telling us what it is and just show us the experience. And our technique is called What Happened. So tell your story using what happened. And what did happen? <laughs> <laughs> you see, that's the nub of of um, the enjoyment of both telling and listening to a story. And there's that kind of rubric in presenting. And of course, we work in organizations and sometimes it's about helping them do a fantastic presentation. Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them it, and then tell them what you told them. Now, we totally understand why for clarity and reinforcement, that might be a good model. But in terms of storytelling, is a terrible model because, well, I know what the story is going to be. You're going to tell me what the story is. This is a story about why I never fly on planes, Amy. And then I tell you it and then I say, and that is why I never fly on planes. But actually, the enjoyment of a story is being dropped into a moment where you're like sitting forward. What's going to happen? Where's he going? Why is he doing that? What's he going to say? That is why it's really enjoyable to engage in a story because it's the curiosity and the journey and not knowing where it's going to end. Yeah, and then the listener gets to have the feeling, I'm never getting on a plane again. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, because they've gone through the storyteller's journey. So the emotion then is held, you know, the, the storyteller certainly is expressing the emotion, but the listeners are experiencing it as well, as much. Yeah. So what's the big mission for you, Dan and Jane? What, what is it you really want to achieve? Well, our mission statement as an organisation is a world connected by listening and telling personal stories. And that for me, like really says it because I see the power of storytelling to create connection every single day, you know, and then I, you know, read a newspaper and see what's happening in the world and see how desperate we all are but when we get you know shut into our silos and we're isolated and we we can't be ourselves and we can't connect and we can't share ourselves so I think it's yeah for people to kind of get I I have a story my story is valuable and everybody that I know and I and everybody that I don't know also has a story and their story is valuable I think that's absolutely it. I mean, a word that's popped into my head during this conversation is representation. You know, you you talked about the the unheard stories and mm. and the origin of narratives work with Murray Nossel and Paul Brody in New York was around HIV and AIDS. And at that time, 
there was a really hidden story that was massively stigmatized um, and those people felt that nobody wanted to hear it. So I think that releasing of the unheard voices. And I think, you know, you talked about the world, the world is in our mission statement. We look at the divisiveness in the world at the moment, the um, the partisan uh, groups that we all uh, retreat into. I think one thing that comes out of that idea that everybody has a story is that we share so much more than we don't share with other human beings. Doesn't matter where they're from, what their background, what their color, what their religion, et cetera, et cetera. We share so much more. And that idea that our stories can be a bridge between us and other people where we can sit facing somebody that looks and seems very different to us, but where we get there's 90% of being a human being that's the same for both of us. That is where we start to be able to break down some of these divisions that we see in the world. Oh, I love that. And you know, the realizations, revelations, representations, all the R's, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> but you have, it is all about curiosity. It's about the journey that you're taking people on and, and the creativity element that comes in with that as well is, it's, it's fabulous. And storytelling is in our DNA. You know, it, it's what we've done for generations. It's absolutely, it's it's in our hard brain, hard wiring. I mean, it's so exciting, the neuroscience that is discovering, oh, it's actually a part of how the brain functions. We need it. It's a survival technique. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a fundamental element of our learning, isn't it? And, and how we pass down that those learnings from generation to generation. Yeah. And oh, it's been fascinating. I, I absolutely loved hearing your, your sort of perspective of, your your narrative London perspective of it. So thank you for coming in today. Well, thank you, Amy, because it's really, Jane and I live and work together, but when there's somebody else asking the questions, I get to hear things that I've never heard before yeah. out of Jane's mouth and out of my own mouth. So <laughs> that's always fascinating. Yeah, so, yeah. So, thank you. Thanks. Uh, no, I love that. It's, it's actually really interesting. A lot of people who come on the show find it sort of reaffirming and they sort of have that sort of injection of like, oh, I hadn't thought of it from that perspective. You have got that sort of extra sort of pair of or questions or pair of eyes looking yes. at it from a different filter, as you said earlier. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, how would people get in touch with you if they want to talk about stories more? So our website is www.narrative.uk. So you can drop us a line there, go to the website and subscribe. And you have to see that narrative is not spelt in the regular dictionary where yeah. spelling narrative is one R and no E on the end, but narrative.uk. That is Narrative London. We are uh, on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, where else? And on SoundCloud, because we make our own podcasts and have more conversations about listening and storytelling. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure all of those links go into the show notes so that people can access and contact you. Do you have a final word for the audience today? You have a story. And how you, what you do with that uh, and how you approach that is up to you. But it's just to reaffirm that we all have experience which is absolutely distinct and individual to us. And when we can start to value our own experience, then we can be, be a whole person in the world in a very different way. And mine would be listen. Just listen. Notice how you listen to yourself, 
to the world around you? Who do you find it easy to listen to? Who is it harder to listen to? Who do you feel doesn't listen to you? So just listen. Thank you for listening to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson, and if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star Apple podcast review. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, and become a member of my inspiring, uplifting, and positive Focus on Why Facebook group. I help people to focus on their why with clarity, uniting their passion with their purpose with a plan to create the life they truly desire. If you would like me to help you focus on your why, then please book a free 20-minute coaching call via candidly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson. And if you haven't already, please sign up for the Friday Focus weekly newsletter via my website, amyrollinson.com. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.